of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Missing, missing, missing in action, missing, missing persons report that needs to be put out there. The anti-war left missing persons report the anti-war left. If anyone has seen the anti-war left, please report it to brushbeater.org. You can report sightings of the anti-war left. NC Scout at brushbeater.org. They have been missing now for a significant amount of time. Uh, remember all of the lefties who were out there back during the, the heyday of the global war on terror back when we were chasing phantoms in the hills of Afghanistan and along the banks of the Tigris and the Euphrates River that they were out there. They were running the news stories every night, showing the faces of the fallen and uh, in a very vibrant display in order to gain influence with the American people uh, against the global war on terror. And every opportunity they got, they were smearing American soldiers, American troops, American servicemen, as war criminals in a somewhat pale effort to recreate the era of the late 1960s and early 1970s. But we don't see those people anymore. We don't see those people anymore. They're, they're gone now. They're all flying Ukrainian flags. They're all uh, out there, of course, joining the international legions that were beginning in Syria... And we're going to be talking about that in this episode. And of course, that has now manifested into Ukraine. And that war is being brought home 100% and then some. It's good to be with you. I, of course, am number one best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio. NC Scout coming at you live from here in the Gorilla Camp, located deep in the heart of rural North Carolina. And uh, started that cold open because it it's very disturbing to me the dehumanization that occurs in war. And perhaps maybe it's a little bit of introspection. 
Um, you know, you, you lose yourself in that role as uh, the Zimbardo experiment, the, the now legendary, infamously legendary uh, Stanford prison experiment um, would, would point out, would go on to point out, uh, you know, which became the standard for institutional review boards that approve research. Um, it's critically important, especially in the social sciences that you do not create social experiments that could, uh, create harm or, you know, in many cases, psychological damage to the participants or the respondents, you know, but it's important. We all study that experiment. And of course, Stanley Milgram experiment as well to understand how people take on a role, how they end up losing themselves in that role and the dehumanization effort and effect that goes into that. And, uh, mechanisms of control in society perform these functions in various ways for good and bad, for good and bad. Uh, but the, but the role is absolutely played. And so when we become embodied into that role, whether that is, uh, one of, uh, granting power or it's one that grants us identity because they, they are mutually exclusive, but somewhat related concepts. But when we, we take on those roles that grant us identity, we fulfill them, right? We fulfill them. We seek to fulfill them. And this is also very important to understand how people become radicalized over time, how, how the radicalization method works. And we're going to be talking about that in this episode too. You know, but the anti-war left back then, back then, a little over a decade ago, it was chic to, uh, be a part of the anti-war left. Uh, I remember back in my undergrad days when there would be, uh, students that were out there, they were flying Canadian flags, right? You know, I mean, you know, Canadian soldiers were absolutely there in Afghanistan too, but they were flying Canadian flags, right? Um, you know, that, that's kind of the, the, uh, the lefty thing to do at, at different various points in America is to fly Canadian flags, uh, as if there's no right wing in Canada. There's actually some, some people that I very much look, uh, look up to who are Canadian. Um, and, and have worked with some absolutely, uh, outstanding Canadians, um, and you know, I, nothing but respect, but the left in America is certainly an interesting animal. And, uh, but at the time, and there was a case to be made for this, that the military industrial complex was run amok in Iraq, that the, uh, whole basis for us going into Iraq, especially was based around, uh, the long-term strategic, uh, asset seizure of, of oil. And there is a case to be made for that. Certainly. Uh, there's certainly a case to be made for that. And, uh, they, you know, that, that's business as usual, but it's important to understand that the Eastern competing interest does this as well. And they do it through a, a very different mechanism, right? They do it through something that, that we understand is soft hegemony, uh, versus coercive means that we utilize here in the United States as kind of the, the uh, hinge point of foreign policy and our force projection abroad, right? 
But uh, I'm not going to bog you down with those details. That's a better discussion for another day, I would say. Uh, but the anti-war left, the the, the anti-war left who was um, in the, the proto phases of social media, when social media was in its infancy, right? Back when uh, Facebook was limited to university students and MySpace was really the hottest thing on the planet because you could put music on your page, man. You could put music up there. It's my music. It's my theme song. Uh, back in those days, of course, uh, I had corrosion of conformity up a lot because uh, COC is one of those bands that if if you listen to them and uh you know pepper keenan's lyrics when he came in um on the deliverance album and really started writing full time you know they went from a a thrash band uh in the raleigh scene here in north carolina to kind of pivoting to more of a a southern sludge style a much heavier style they they uh slowed down quite a bit and refined their sound they got away from from a lot of the thrash uh stuff and pepper keenan uh coming up in the new orleans scenes just real interesting right um, and, and his lyrics, I, I think are spot on very, uh, Southern populist style, uh, lyrics that, you know, if, if they had more of a Southern rock sound, they would, you know, they, they, they would certainly, uh, fall right in with John Fogarty and, and, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival and, and, a, and a lot of that, but, you know, getting off on a tangent there, but back in those days, Right back in those days, the anti-war left was extremely popular. And when social media was in its infancy, there were videos that were going out that were going viral of alleged atrocities that were occurring that, you know, American soldiers, American servicemen were perpetuating, which may or may not have occurred, Uh, may or may not have occurred. You know, people do bad things. All right. The Haditha Dam incident is one such example. Right. Um, th- there were there were many examples. Of course, we we all know about the, the Marines that were urinating on the dead Taliban bodies. Right. These are things that occur when you are embodied into a role and it becomes unchecked and the dehumanization that occurs. And, you know, on a personal level, you find yourself succumbing to this. When you ride the emotional roller coaster that is warfare, right? And if you've never experienced this, and, and this is absent political stuff, right? If you've never experienced this, then you cannot understand. You cannot understand. You have absolutely no way of understanding this. But things happen, right? Things happen. And when you lose uh, your, your, comrades around you your brothers in arms you know people that you broke bread with every waking moment of your life or however long they've been in that unit and you no longer see an enemy out there as even having a face or even being human you dehumanize them they're just something else right there's something else entirely it's a very dark place that you find yourself and the anti-war left in america in, in that time, right, when, when uh, I, young stud, you know, wanting to get out there, wanting to, you know, uh, angry at the world, there was two wars going on, that sense of adventure, right, that, that uh, need for an identity. And just like one of the, the famous quotes from 
one of my favorite movies from Ronan. You know, you, you're seduced by a wealthy fool. It's exactly what happens, right? It's exactly what happens. And you realize the truth of it. You realize the truth of it. Some people, they, they go maybe an entire career before they realize the truth. Some people never realize it. Uh, some people realize it the hard way. Some people don't realize it soon enough, right? But uh, I tell you all that, and, and make no mistake, you know, I'm not a, a necessarily an anti-war person. I'm not a pro-war person either. Uh, I, I know the truth of the military-industrial complex. And I'm willing to recognize that. Uh, there's there's a lot of people on the conservative side that are not, and we shouldn't be making war across the world for no reason whatsoever. That's unjust, and we have had a pattern of doing this for some time now. Uh, especially in the, the post-World War II era. And that's a sad state of affairs to find ourselves in. You know, and, and you know, growing up, a lot of times when, when the name Oliver Stone's brought up, you know, it's it, around here at least, it's brought up in a negative context. And um, it's important to recognize that he wasn't wrong. And you have to see things through his lens to really understand it. And... So that leads me to asking the question once more, just where the hell is the anti-war left? Where did they go? And they have embodied the role of supporting the, the, the military industrial complex. And it's just very strange juxtaposition, right? That they are, they, they were at one time militantly anti-war when it did not benefit them. But they turn around and become very much pro-war when it does. And you have to understand why that is, right? You have to understand why that is. One of the reasons for this is that there is a very substantial psychological operation that has been run from the beginning of all of this Ukraine nonsense. And it began with Syria. It began with Syria. There's a, a strong case it could be made that it was being run before this, uh, going back to the Arab Spring, so right out a decade ago, closing in on a decade ago. Um, and, and that certainly may or may not be true. Uh, my ear wasn't really to the ground of, of a lot of the uh, left-wing activities that were occurring in Europe at the time because they are directly intertwined with this. This was the birth of Antifa, uh, Antifa the current incarnation of Antifa. So <clears throat> that brings us to understanding Syria and the Communist International, which stood up a guerrilla warfare school in the Rozava region that began training militants. And from there we saw Antifa spread worldwide because they had a very unique opportunity to train guerrillas and get them combat experience so that they could multiply that revolutionary fervor worldwide. That's what's happened. It's important to understand that this structure existed within another larger structure. The military-industrial complex and the corrupt elements of the United States government got together and realized that this was an effort to protect their interests abroad and the Communist International was just a convenient fool to take advantage of. 
They're cheaper than American soldiers. You don't have to house them. You don't have to feed them. And you don't have to pay their spouses at SGLI when they're dead. Cannon fodder. And cannon fodder for ideology is always cheap. The problem is, is that for the military industrial complex, let's be specific, is that those communists are coming back home and they're bringing their war with them. The difficult thing to reconcile is, is that the corrupt elements of the United States government do not recognize this. They do not recognize this danger and they are only now warming up to it. The anti-war left was only anti-war as long as it suited them. They're very much pro-war and they're very much violent when it comes to their revolutionary aims. Understand this. Understand this. So that brings us to today. They have a revolutionary school for guerrillas. They have the Communist International that has supported them, supplied them, trained the fighters, and now they're bringing that war back home from Ukraine. So I have a story here that is a capstone to this coming from The Intercept. And of course, you know, we know The Intercept uh, previously Glenn Greenwald's work over there, which was just outstanding. Uh, and Greenwald continues to do wonderful work over on his channel uh, on Rumble. Um, and and he's was ushered out of the left because he called it as he saw it down the middle. And Greenwald is no conservative. Uh, he's no conservative. He's certainly probably more on the left wing of things. Uh, but it is important to understand that he is, he is one to call out that corruption in his pro-human freedom. And that's something that has to be commended. We can talk about governance all day long and policy in governments, but as long as we all recognize that the, the cornerstone of that is human freedom, then we, we, we are in agreement. Uh, it has to be that foundational principle, right? But uh, anyway, the intercept. So they've got a story up that I think is is really, really important to study and understand. And of course, it broke yesterday, uh, or day before yesterday. Actually, it came to my attention yesterday after uh, yesterday's podcast went up. But it's called the snitch in the silver hearse. The FBI paid a violent felon to infiltrate Denver's racial justice movement. And so uh, this story goes on to describe a uh, militant by the name of Michael Adam Windecker II, uh, who was nicknamed Mickey, who drove around an old silver hearse that was full of weapons that really couldn't be accounted for where they came from. And he was basically stoking up violence. Uh, he was being paid by the FBI. He was there to spy on the movement to uh, create what's known as elite capture, um, create those scenarios and identify the key players in the movement. And of course we know that the, the FBI does this. The ATF certainly does this. The DEA does this. Any intelligence organization that is tasked with mapping out the hierarchy 
of a thing, whatever it is, is going to conduct these things. And so, uh, there's much conversation that's had on the right regarding, uh, you know, people who are, who are feds, right? The, oh, oh, the fed, fed this, fed that. And, um, you know, part of that is out of a, a legitimized suspicion and a very legitimate uh, concern that people have for their own personal security, right? And then, of course, there, there's also some unsubstantiated fear. But th- there's a lot of that out there. Uh, you know, when we look at examples like the Mallor Wildlife Refuge standoff, where half of the actors there were either paid informants or agents provocateur. When we look at January 6th, of course, uh, Ray Epps, you know, another such example. And we talk about this on the right and we've got, uh, Jim Jordan, who is really leading the, the charge on the investigation of the federal agencies and the role that they played in this, uh, in, in stoking this up. But these things are occurring on the left too. Uh, and that, paranoia that is created is one that gives way to inaction right if you're you're so paranoid that you know this that or the other may happen then you know you're you're not going to be prone to acting um you're going to be content to sit on your hands right um you know just understand that this is always a risk and one of the things that i want to point out with this and, and this is not the central point here But one of the things I want to point out is that people who are advocating you become more violent in your day-to-day interactions, right? Who are stoking up things that you know are not good ideas, okay? This is just not a good idea. It's not a good idea to do these things. Those are people you should probably stay away from, Um I would say that common sense applies, but we also know that common sense ain't common. And that just is what it is. But this guy had all the warning signs, right? He had all the warning signs. He certainly uh, was very suspect in his approach. But it is important to understand, too, that he has some very... um, Interesting things, at least to me, that are critical to, to point out. Not the fact that he was an informant, even though that he, he, he was, but the fact that he did receive training and had combat experience in Syria, fighting alongside the Peshmerga. Now, the article goes on to talk about how, you know, eh, some of the details are sketchy and he was really more of a uh, uh, kind of a glory hound after action, uh, wanting to take pictures with dead bodies and kind of the, you know, the the more depraved aspects of this and, um, you know, the the more depraved aspects of, of combat, I should say. You know, that all may be true, and this article is certainly written, The the Intercept is written from a, a left-wing perspective, and, and the author does a, a very good job of uh, continuing to paint left-wing militants in a positive light while painting this guy in a, a negative one, and, um, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's a very useful piece of propaganda. But, uh, you know, that being said... It confirms what I've been saying for a long period of time now. 
that the Communist International had a very effective school in Syria that was training and still is training, albeit in Ukraine now, that is training troops for combat. And what they're doing is once they have served their tour, should they survive it, they go back to the country of their birth, the country of their citizenry, at least so they say, because you know the Communist International views themselves as uh, children of the world, citizens of the world, as, as uh, John Muir would uh, very uh, famously put it. He was also a communist, by the way. But that they now have that combat experience, and they are bringing that training back with them, and they're bringing their methods of training back with them. They are absolutely training for a communist revolution. And that is one that they wholeheartedly not just believe in, not just believe in, but one that they are working diligently to bring about. That needs to concern you. This quote from the article. Windecker also secretly recorded a conversation in which Hall, which was another one of the activists, BLM activists, Uh, in which Hall spoke vaguely of violent revolution and a desire to train for combat. Windecker encouraged Hall with fantastical claims of training anti-fascist activists in Iraq and Syria as part of what he called the Red Star Brigade. My type of training is, is, uh, my type of training that I do is anything from like teach how to shoot a gun to, you know. And of course, this was all being recorded. I tell you that, one as a as a trainer myself and one who has a lot of classes that are coming up right but i tell you this because this guy he did do this okay he did do these things and i'll tell you exactly how he got nabbed up when he came back to the united states because they all do they get pulled aside when they're coming back through customs and they're sat down with an FBI field agent. They set them down. They debrief them. And they will get recruited. They hold the coercion over their heads. And tell them. That if they don't do this. That their citizenry. Is going to get yanked. That they're going to get thrown in prison. That they could be charged with. International terrorism. Domestic terrorism. The conspiracy to commit domestic terrorism. And they have done this for a long period of time. The book My Jihad by Akil Collins, sometimes uh, called Akai Collins, uh, but Akil Collins is what it was published under. He described this process, how he became an informant for not just the FBI, but also the CIA, because he went overseas to become a jihadi. This was occurring in the 1990s. Of course, he very famously went on to fight in Chechnya. He was an interesting character. Um, you know, Robert Young Pelton covered him in detail, had some interviews with him. He was a fascinating guy, very, very fascinating guy. He ended up dying uh, from sepsis at a relatively young age, um, really from as a result of not taking care of himself, spent uh, a significant amount of time in a Mexican prison as well in the, uh, the 20-teens. But this is how this happened. 
These members of the Communist International that are going overseas to get training are absolutely being monitored. And the most useful of them are being recruited into the process. They're being shoveled money. The federal government is well aware of this. They're trying to manage it. But the problem is, is that there are homegrown militants that are taking this very, very seriously. Their communist revolution is now well underway. This article is proof positive of this. This is something I've been warning everybody as much as possible. And as the wheels continue to fall off the wagon socially here in the United States, they're going to become more and more violent. We've already seen the assassination phase now that is blatant. It is blatant. If you look at the insurgency pyramid, right, the heiress insurgency pyramid, right at the top, before it slides into overt warfare, you have selected assassinations. The assassination of Eunice Dwumfor, the councilwoman from New Jersey, an African immigrant and a Republican, and she was absolutely targeted. That should be proof positive. The attacks on the infrastructure is proof positive. The fact that we have a non-existent southern border, which is being invaded by communist Chinese, communist Cubans, communist Venezuelans, and Russians, who are now very much sliding into an overt war with the United States. If you think that they are not going to work diligently to continue their destabilization efforts, you're wrong. And if you think that the Communist International in the United States, they may be flying those Ukraine flags right now, but make no mistake, their real goal is bringing down the United States. They're going to be doing it, folks. They're going to be doing it. They're going to be acting on that. You need to get yourself better prepared. Anyhow, with that said, of course, there's a lot going on in the news. There's a lot that is moving rather quickly. Uh, there's a lot of other things that we could be talking about, but but we're going to save that one for a later episode. Quick shout out to the show sponsors, Resist the Mainstream. ResistTheMainstream.com, daily news aggregator and original content that is up. Joe Dolio's Tactical Wisdom, my very good friend, occasional partner over on the Privy Council and Council on Future Conflict. And guest, of course, on Sons of Liberty. Uh... Blacksmith Publishing, Paula Favor, Mike Blackburn, authors of the U.S. Army, Small Unit Tactics Handbook, Iron Sharpening Iron, and a lot of other really incredible books over there for your professional reference library. Last and certainly not least, Jack Lawson's Civil Defense Manual, which can be found at civildefensemanual.com. God bless, folks. Keep your heads on a swivel. And always remember, we do what we do out of love. Keep training. Train hard. It's an effort in the fight for human freedom. Talk to you again very, very soon. This is NC Scout. Out.